Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Most of this hour reserved for more of your phone calls. We've already had a dozen coaching bracket analysts in the last couple weeks, a dozen media bracket analysts in the last couple weeks. And joining us now is a guy, and Darren Vaught, you know this to be true about Ian Eagle, one of the great voices of March Madness. If we wanted to talk about the new proposal today, calling for NFL non-calls to be reviewable, like, you know, the no-pass interference in the Saints game, Ian Eagle would be able to handle that. If we wanted to talk about DeGrom's contract extension with the Mets, Ian Eagle would be able to handle that. A big injury in the NBA last night. The big fellow went down with the Blazers with that compound fracture. The voice of the Brooklyn Nets, Ian Eagle, would be able to handle that. But this time, we must mostly pick his NCAA tournament brain. Ian, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We respect that versatility. How are you? Ah, uh, DG, I pride myself on being a renaissance man. The fact that you pointed it out is, is just a little bit of gravy. For me. <laughs> well, given that diversity, what would you describe as a guy whose job is to call the games, but you do rub elbows with the big thinkers from CBS and Turner who want this to be as popular a tournament as possible? What are the closest things we have right now to a sister gene type story from Loyola Chicago last year? Because this has been a very chalky tournament and, you know, Zion Williamson's story needs other things with it. If CBS is going to maximize its ratings. Yeah. You know, I think from year to year things shift because of where we are in college basketball this year, ironically enough, I don't know if anyone ever just came out and said, this team's number one. This team is going to be the best team in the nation from wire to wire. Duke got some of those uh, conversations early in the year. Zion goes down with the injury, and I think it did level the playing field. And you look at one through 16 here, and of course there are going to be drop-offs along the way, but everybody that's here deserves to be here. And there are prior years where you do get the Cinderella story, you get the mid-major it doesn't always make for the best games down the road as you hit the regional weekend or the final four, but it does make for really good copy and it makes for a good narrative. The closest thing right now, and this is hard to say because they are still a high seed. They're a three seed in the Midwest, but, but Houston's renaissance to me is the one story that could gain a little steam. If they beat Kentucky, if they beat either North Carolina or Auburn and get to the Final Four, that's saying something for a program that was completely down and out that has not achieved this level of success in a very long time. And we're talking about going back to the Faisalama-Jama days. So to me, that would be the closest thing to it. Yeah, Texas Tech is a really good team. They were excellent last year. I think they're even better this year. Uh, the Gonzaga mid-major story was written many years ago. That's done. That's, that's over. We know that they're a big-time program. Uh, beyond that, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of sister gene-like connections that you're going to come up with this year. There's more than enough for me. I always use the Dave's mom phrase. If my mom is pulled into the NCAA tournament or virtually any other sporting event, there has to be a sister gene-like hook uh, I do think, you know, Phil Kofer's dad dying at Florida State 
uh, and some of the players' reactions to that. Talking, Mike Kofer mm-hmm. was an NFL player, and they, they called up YouTube videos to see how hard he had played, and Terrence yep. Mann said it even inspired him. So as Ian, remember, is in Kansas City, Missouri, he'll have the call for UNC-Auburn and then that Houston-Kentucky game. Uh, the ACC still has four others standing and the Florida State Seminoles have become an intriguing part of it. I don't know how far CBS has gotten into that, but uh, that's certainly a human interest story. Yeah, no doubt. And, and as you know, as you get closer to the Final Four and there are production meetings and you sit down to comb through it, uh, there will be some stories uncovered that have not necessarily been in the public eye just yet. So just because we're talking today prior to the Sweet 16 without any real intimate knowledge, that doesn't mean that other stories won't become a little bit more in the forefront. And that's part of this tournament as well. Uh, from a play-by-play man's perspective, BG, we've talked about this many times. To prepare for this event, part of it is immersing yourself in the eight teams that you're assigned the first weekend, the four teams you're assigned the second weekend, and trying to uncover some some nuggets and some stories that could capture the attention of America for three weeks. It truly is a festival and there are memorable stories from many, many years of covering this tournament that do not lead to NBA stardom or multi-million dollar contracts, but just really good human interest stories that uh, help propel this tournament. And there's a reason why people keep coming back. You know, a lot of future NBA first-round picks are still alive. And one thing I love about this tournament that also translates into a question for you, as you have that interesting Houston team against an intriguing Kentucky team out in the Midwest bracket, mm-hmm. it's more fun that we knew Zion was back from his injury because we saw him at the ACC tournament. It's more fun when Justin Robinson does shake off the rust. And, man, he missed a yep. long time for Virginia Tech. But it's just more fun when we see everybody at full strength rather than, oh, there goes Kansas State because of a no-Dean Wade situation. Or that was that happened to a couple of other teams. You have Kentucky-Houston. I mean, with P.J. Washington, Kentucky can win the whole darn thing. Without P.J. Yep. Washington, I'm not sure they beat Houston. Do, are we still in a guessing game mode as to his availability for the Wildcats on Friday? Yeah, we are, D.G. Obviously, I was in Jacksonville. Kentucky was there, so... I definitely have a little more knowledge based on our exposure level with Kentucky and our sideline reporter, Jamie Erdahl, did a bang-up job covering that story, talking to P.J. directly on two occasions and him describing the pain level being a 10 out of 10 Mm. when it started to go south for him on the Sunday after the SEC semifinals where the pain just never went away and to the point where he had to have x-rays done and an MRI performed and then see a specialist in Green Bay wearing a walking boot. Eventually, they, they put a cast on it. So this is a huge mystery. To me, this would be a pretty miraculous if he comes back from this and not just comes back and gets on the floor, but comes back and is his old self. This is an all-American we're talking about, and you're 100% accurate with him in the lineup they have a legitimate chance to win the national championship. Without them, yes, they're still very talented. Yes, they have a bunch of McDonald's All-Americans. But to intimate that, no, it's still Kentucky and, and they could still go out and win the whole thing, I, I just can't see that possibility. Uh, there are 
uh, too many pitfalls for this group. Uh, they don't shoot it particularly well, and if they get themselves into a tight game, the question will be who takes over in that scenario. P.J. Washington was the calming influence for this squad. I hope he's back. I'd love to see them at full strength. Uh, just judging off of what I saw week one of the tournament, uh, that appears to be a very tall order. Ian Eagle joining us. Yes Network, voice of the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA. Westwood One, Turner Sports, CBS, one of our favorites on March Madness, of course. You know, we here in ACC country see the three number one seeds from that league all season long. And sure. yet I'm still fascinated by this. I sometimes wonder if I, I, I'm the guy who runs accsports.com. This is my life for 32 years. And yet sometimes sort of an outsider's view, you get to see the whole world in many ways, whereas we can be entrenched in ACC country. When you think of UNC and UVA, who basically, Ian, Roy Williams and Tony Bennett trust the top seven or eight guys in their rotation entirely, and yet neither of those teams has a player as good as either Zion Williamson or R.J. Barrett at Duke. So when you process all of that, would you rather have Mike Krzyzewski, maybe the two best players in college basketball, but bad three-point shooting and a shaky supporting cast? Or would you rather have, like, the rock-solid seven-man rotation at the fellow number one seeds, UVA or UNC? Can you pick among those three, or are they, you know, they just going you know, to have shades of gray splitting hairs in your eyes? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I love the way Virginia plays. I love how they're coached. I love how that team has been built. I'm thrilled that they got out of the first round so they didn't have to answer that question anymore. And the hope is that... They play to the best of their abilities. They play to their identity. And these young people get a chance to make their mark in the NCAA tournament. They've earned it. They deserve it. Uh, obviously, this is not a, an easy matchup. Oregon has been hot to roll through the Pac-12 tournament the way that they did. This is a, a team that was expected to do big things this year. So this idea that they've come out of nowhere is a little bit far-fetched. Oregon is really talented. And they were underseeded because of the fact that they underachieved during the season. North Carolina, I've watched a bunch of film already this week in preparation for our game. I did a number of the Kentucky games when John Wall was a freshman in the tournament up at Syracuse and a number of regular season games. I just assumed that was it. I was never going to see anyone faster mm. at the point guard position going baseline to baseline the rest of my career that I've seen the fastest guy and I just have to accept that. I don't know if I would necessarily say that anymore because Kobe white might be at that same level. He has blown me away with his sheer speed, his dynamic abilities and the fact that they play to that pace up and down athletic enough to, to do it time and time again, creating opportunities for themselves. I, I just think, uh, this has been a dynamite year for Roy Williams with this group. And hard to say it. How do you say a number one seed is under the radar? Mm. But in a way, they were. I think they were overlooked. And then the last piece of the equation, Duke, uh, maybe the most talented freshman class ever in college basketball, and that's including the Fab Five. That's saying a whole lot. Mm. Zion is uh, one of those once-in-a-lifetime players that you're going to see in college hoops. Uh, it's rare that someone can capture – the attention of the country the way that he has, and rightfully so. He's gifted. He has dexterity. 
He's agile. He's immense. He's a Skywalker. It's, it's this incredible package that also has a big smile on his face. So there's a likability there. To answer your question, I would take Duke's roster, but they were within an eyelash of getting knocked out of the second round. I'm not even sure they deserve to win the game. They did everything that they could to, to get to that spot, and they figured out a way to win. I think if you run the same scenario nine times out of ten, they would lose that game. Everything was lined up for UCF to win it. And uh, that just shows you about this tournament, because if Duke's out, your whole show would have been completely different yesterday, completely different today. And the fact that they're still in makes you believe, no, this is just going to harden them. Uh, there's still some, some issues there. And the three-point shooting is uh, right smack in the middle of the questions that you have about this, this roster. Last thing for Ian Eagle, CBS Sports. Catch him on the call Friday. UNC Auburn, Houston against Kentucky. They're the matchups in Kansas City, Missouri. Of course, there's a head-to-head ACC versus ACC matchup. And since you just kind of broke down the Blue Devils there, uh, let me ask you to take a stroll down Amnesia Lane, as Robin Williams called it in the Great Dead Poets Society uh, movie. I can't think of many examples, Ian, where a college basketball team either knew its coach was leaving or started to read all over social media, hey, Buzz Williams has roots in Texas. Texas A&M is throwing around more money than anybody's ever seen. And just like mm-hmm. the Aggies hired Jimbo Fisher away from Florida State in a way that surprised people, uh, word is Buzz Williams is going to be the next head coach at Texas A&M. So, uh, a, do you can you think of similar examples where somebody this far in the tournament, you know, is is wondering whether their coach is on is, is about to hit the exit door? And B, I mean, what do you think? Just as a, an, a lifelong observer of sports, could that be a distraction that trick you know makes it harder to beat Duke, or could it be a rallying cry? You know, win one for the Gipper. Some of us are seniors yep. anyway, so so we might as well send them off in style. Yeah, the second part of the question, look, we never really know the dynamic, the team dynamic behind the scenes. And to try to dig in and and speculate on coach-player relationships, behind closed doors, you just don't know. These guys might love Buzz Williams unconditionally. And if they have been asked, in an honest moment, are you happy that Buzz is getting to fulfill a dream? They might answer yes. You know, that coach-player dynamic is strong. Now, there are many cases where it isn't, and players are genuinely ticked off that a coach is deserting them, per se. Can you compartmentalize at this level? The answer is yes, you can. You can separate the two, and you can use it as a rallying cry. I think uh, the one thing that, that strikes me more than any other, if I'm Virginia Tech, the intimidation factor is not there. I know Zion didn't play in the game that the Hokies knocked off uh, the Blue Devils, but they're not going to be intimidated by the idea of getting on the court with Duke. And oftentimes, that under the bright lights can shift the score, 10 points, 8 points, whatever that might be, just that opening punch when you walk onto the floor. My, uh, My concerns for Virginia Tech are not based on that whatsoever. My concerns for Virginia Tech would be more based on the fact that Duke got this game out of their system, the one against UCF, 
and that they're ready to explode, and it just happens to be Virginia Tech in their way. I think you're right, and the Hokies, while being great at a lot of things, are not great at protecting the rim on defense either. Yep. There's no seven foot six taco fall lingering near yep. the rim there. Uh, excellent analysis, as always, from one of the great voices of March Madness, Ian Eagle. Keep up the great work, man. Thank you, as always, for the time on the David Glenn Show. All right, DG, always great talking to you this time of year, bud. Right back at you, my friend.